Well, we've been talking the last few weeks about uh, this unstoppable movement of God and how it uh, shakes out here in Akron and our little uh, place and time and slice of dirt and piece of history and uh, want to continue that conversation here and uh, just talk about how Grace Church is pursuing this vision and trying to implement that in the ways that we would know uh, how to do that. Uh, I wanted to show you and remind you of this again. When you think of grace and you think about our execution, so to say, of kind of our leg of the race for the church, uh, grace sets up a little bit differently. And so there's this slide up here that uh, will come up, I hope, and it will show our different campuses. And I'll show you that another time. Uh, But when we think about uh, our campuses and we think about the movement of grace, we think about the Bath campus, we think about the Medina campus, our other campus, the Norton campus, and then we think about the extension that's going to open here in two weeks, and then we're thinking of the Barberton campus in about six months, and then kind of on and on from there. And so that extension, that's a part of that. That's us looking and saying we don't want to just continue to build massive buildings. We don't continue to just grow, grow, grow. We want to move out. We want to take the gospel into our community, and we want to make that gospel clear and accessible to whoever's looking forward to it. So when grace is given the option, we would rather multiply than grow up, and the extension is just the, the representation of that, kind of the latest one. And that's just two weeks away that that will open up, and we'll add uh, two more Sunday services there. So I want you guys here to know about that. And I want you to be praying about that and thinking about your involvement in it. And we're excited that God has given us that opportunity. And to that end, we're kind of moving again as a church family, which is pretty much the way that we function, right? And so this is going to happen about every year or 24 months. We're, as a church family, we're going to make a big move. And whether it's a a new uh, campus or another extension or whatever it is, if we're going to continue to press forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, that's going to be a part of our DNA and a part of how we're going to function together as a church. So we've been talking about this for the last few weeks of what does that movement look like? What does an unstoppable movement of God or what does the church in action look like? In the first week, we just started off by kind of defining what a church is a little bit. We said a church is the sum total of its individual parts. It's not just me following Jesus or you following Jesus, but when Jesus established the church and he established the faith, he set it up as a team sport. I I can't fly solo and honor God. I have to be involved with other people and I have to share my life and allow other people to share their life with me. And so we had that conversation. The next weekend, Pastor Jeff Martell was up and uh, he's the one who's going to lead our Barberton campus. And he talked about the history of the church and how from, from Jerusalem forward, this is what the people of God have done. They have pushed the gospel forward. They had, have advanced the cause of Jesus, and the church is his cause. We didn't, we didn't invent the church. The church is not a man-made thing. It's straight out of the book, and it's us just trying to do what God has called us to do. And the people of God have always thought in this forward-moving way. And then we talked about last weekend how we need to personalize that that you are, I am the church. As much as I'm a follower of Jesus, the moment I accept Christ, the moment I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I become a part of the church. And because I am the church, the work of the church is my, is my work. What God calls the church to, he's calling me to individually as well in my place and my role in it. 
Well, this weekend I want to continue the conversation and I, I want to talk about with you the cost of being a movement of God and uh, what that looks like and what that takes for me as a sum total of a, of a whole. So me, you, us, what does it take to be used by God in great ways? What would he tell us, warn us about, and encourage us to do? So uh, this weekend, it's going to play out a, a few different ways. So if, you're, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, what, what I want to describe to you is what it would mean to get yourself into this, right? Sometimes I think when people invite other people to become a Christ follower, we, we falsely uh, make it seem like if you do that, you'll be happy and all your problems will go away and everything will be unicorns and rainbows from now on. And, and really, that's not what the Bible says at all. Uh, Jesus and his uh, apostles talk a lot about the cost of following him and being a part of his kingdom. So for you, it'll define that a little bit already. If you're not a part of grace, this is not just an internal grace talk. This is a church. So if you're already a Christian and you're just kind of hanging out uh, this weekend for some reason, then this will apply to you very much so, anyone who's a follower of Jesus and in that process, you'll probably get a little bit of a, of a glimpse of what grace values and what we're like a little bit. And then for those of us who are a part of Grace Church, that we're a follower of Jesus and think of grace as our home, uh, this, will, this will sound like us. And it's a, it's a reminder. It's kind of a reality talk. When everything's going great, there's a reality that's associated with it. And this will help to focus us and draw us in a little bit and uh, get a glimpse of that. So let's, let's look at this some together. What, what is the cost of being a movement? What's, the, what's it take to be a vibrant, thriving, effective, forward-moving, spiritual entity called the Church of Jesus Christ and to do the things that God has, has called us to do? Movements, um, movements sound like great ideas, don't they? They, they sound like they're, they're fun and they sound visionary and they sound energizing and the, light, and the idea of being a part of a movement as opposed to just maintaining something or paying the bills or keeping our tradition alive. All that is life-giving and it's fulfilling and, it, and it, it's, it's, it's awesome. And a lot of times when I have interacted with uh, younger pastors, they'll, they'll come to me and they'll say, I want to be a part of the movement of God. And I want to be used by God in powerful and powerful ways. And they'll say things to me like, uh, hey, uh, Pastor Jeff, what, what's the one big thing you've learned about planning a church? And I always look at them and I, I look them right in the eye and I say, the one big thing I know about planning a church is I would never do it again. <laughs> if I had any idea what I was getting myself into, I would have never signed up for this because it sounds so fun and it sounds so amazing. It sounds so energizing and it is all those things. But I look at them and I say, you had better be prepared to work. You had better be prepared to struggle. You had better grow a backbone really, really quick. And you had better be prepared for the cost of what it takes to be used by God in dynamic ways. And they'll say something to the effect of, is that, did you have a horrible experience? And I'll say, no, I had a great experience. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And I can tell you that, that that is true, that the vision and the passion and the dream of being used by God is a phenomenal thing. And as the work sets in, and as the fatigue sets in, and as the sacrifice sets in, and as you weather some criticism, 
you will start to understand what Jesus was saying when he said, uh, this is going to cost you something. This is going to cost you something. It's not just going to come easy. You're going to face spiritual opposition. You're going to face earthly opposition. And you are going to have to go all in. Are you going to follow me, lay your life down, is what he would say. And that's what it means to be a part of my church. And that's what it means to be used by me in a great way. So there's a reality to it. And I think it's important to have these conversations. There's a reality. There's a reality of being a part of something significant. And the degree to which this reality is embraced is the degree to which this movement will be successful. It's just the way that it works. And the more that I am willing to, the degree to which I am willing to lay my life down, the degree to which I'm willing to lay my life down to follow Jesus and then to, to give myself to other believers, which is how the Bible describes it, is directly correlated to the degree to which the movement will succeed and go forward. Uh, we said last weekend that the secret sauce of Grace Church is not the music, it's not the teaching, it's not the programs. The secret sauce of Grace Church is that every single time sacrifice was necessary to advance the movement of Jesus Christ, the people of Grace Church have said yes, every time. Because there's a cost to it, there's a reality to it, and that's the way that it plays. Uh, great things cost greatly. History making has a price tag, and powerful ideas have a powerful reality attached to their achievement. And this is the thing that the scripture talks to us about a lot. Now, now it's funny, these, these verses never show up on the back of coffee mugs, you know? There, there's, never, there's never a t-shirt that says, if you love Jesus, you will be persecuted. You know, ne you never see it anywhere, right? But these are things that God talks about all the time. And Jesus tells his church about that if you're going to do this, you're going to have to go all the way in, and there's a price to it. There's a payoff that is beyond anything we can imagine, but there's a reality that has to be counted as well. So what is that cost of being a healthy church or a movement of Christ? And I just want to have kind of a pragmatic conversation, not trying to sensationalize anything. I'm, I'm not trying to romanticize anything. Just kind of a pragmatic conversation about what's it going to take for us to be continued to be used by God. So grab your Bibles if you got them and turn to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. You can use those. In fact, if you don't own one and you want a hard copy, take that with you, keep it. It's page 833 in those Bibles. And if you're electronic, we use the Version app. And just hit that, hit live event. We're Grace Church and our zip code is 44333. 2 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is talking to Timothy, and the Apostle Paul is helping to get the church established, right? And so he's talking to the early church. Everybody's cranked up about Jesus. Jesus has just been, the apostles are still around, so all these amazing miracles are happening. The people who live with Jesus, who saw Jesus died, who saw him risen again from the dead, they're still alive, and so the buzz is on, the day of Pentecost has just happened, so the church was birthed there in Jerusalem. I mean, it's just humming, and the church is beginning to be established and organized like God tells us to, and the Apostle Paul speaks out to one of his protégés, Timothy, 
And Timothy was kind of now the, the next generation that was going to take the church and move it forward and advance it and put a lot of feet to the things that Jesus told us to do and that the scriptures talked about. And Paul talks to Timothy and he says, listen, bud, good job. Want you to do it. Totally worth it. I would do it all again. And here is the price tag. This is what you need to do. This is what it's going to cost. And this is how the gospel of Jesus is going to go forward. And he starts in chapter 3, 2 Timothy, verse 12. Paul says to Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Chapter 4, verse 1, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So let's just peel this apart a little bit and try to understand what Paul was telling Timothy and giving him a heads up on and knowing that we're the church. As much as Timothy was a part of the church, we're a part of the church. So these things land for us as well. So I just put it down this way. I said, in order to be a part of a movement, what's it going to cost? In order to be a part of a movement, what's it going to cost? Here's the first thing that the Apostle Paul says. In order to be a part of a movement, it's going to cost us our comfort. It's going to cost us our comfort. Chapter 3, verse 12, 2 Timothy. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. See, that's the one you never see that on a coffee mug ever, you know? No, ne- no one, you never see on the t-shirt, count it pure joy when you face trials. That one never makes it on an Afghan, right? But it's right there. It's something that Jesus said. He said, people are going to hate you. They're going to be divided because of me. They're going to hate you because of me. Be prepared to be persecuted. And if you want to be the church of Jesus Christ, and you want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you want to live the life that Jesus Christ called us to live, be prepared to be persecuted. In fact, everyone, maybe underline that, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And this is a reality. It's a reality, and it's a difficult reality, and it's something that's becoming more and more a reality for you and I here. North America has been a wonderful, wonderful land, and we have lived in a very unique time in which Christians in North America have been uniquely insulated from persecution. We're the oddballs. Even religious freedom and freedom of speech and all the things that are good and we value and are important, 
we have to remember that we are spoiled to have those things. They are unique and they're weird in human history and we, the representation of the church, under those ideas, have undergone a unique period of relatively no persecution. And by and large, the North American church has taken that time and used it to propagate the gospel, sent missionaries all over the world, done amazing things, created amazing things. By and large, the church has done a good job with it. And I would tell you that that freedom and that bubble is not going to last forever. Never has, never will. There's nothing unique about us that will keep us from being persecuted. In fact, the time is fast approaching in which it's going to be very difficult to be a nominal Christian. I was reading an article just this last week and the researcher was saying one of the things that are gonna be true of millennials, millennials, 20-somethings, those of you who are here, you guys get to lead the edge on this. I'm so excited for you. One of the things that's gonna be true of millennials is he said it's going to be impossible for, for millennials to be nominal in their faith because culture has shifted, thoughts have changed, and issues of conviction now cannot be swept under the rug and they cannot be easily agreed upon. See, all of a sudden, being a cultural Christian isn't gonna really make it anymore. All of a sudden, everybody kind of agrees on everything isn't gonna make it anymore. We, we have a terrible time agreeing on issues of morality, on issues of rightness, on, even on issues of fundamental doctrines and theologies that the church has held really since its inception. Jesus had this in mind, the Apostle Paul had this in mind, and in their time, they would have looked at the early church and said, yeah, this, this is just the way it is. It's just the way it is. See, we would look and we would say, I can't believe this is happening to our, our country. Or our fellow brother across the world might say, well, you guys are like babies. <laughs> like you, you, you don't, you don't want to be even inconvenienced. We're laying down our lives because we won't convert. We won't deny the name of Jesus. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul would have said, right, persecution is actually a norm for a follower of Jesus Christ. But suddenly, here we are, people who want to propagate the gospel. Here we are, people who believe God's word, and we would say, actually, we are... We are very distinct people. Well, what do you mean? Well, we actually believe there's only one God. Well, can't we coexist? Um, no. We believe there's one way to heaven. Where'd you get that from? The Bible? I mean, it's, it's like low-hanging fruit. We believe there's one standard of morality. Where'd that come from? Well, the Word of God, and we adhere to the Word of God, and when you think it's old-fashioned, well, we think it's right. Who are you to say what's right? Well, we didn't, God did. Who are you to speak for God? And all of a sudden, being a nominal follower of Jesus isn't something that really holds up anymore. If we want to be the church of Jesus Christ, and we want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we want to give our lives to the cause of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost our comfort. But we're not just going to get to be loving, kind, compassionate, happy people. 
the way that the world is moving is going to back us into a corner where we must make hard decisions about conscience and conviction, and we're not going to avoid it. Now, I'm not being paranoid. I'm not longing for the good old days. I don't wish we could all go back to Mayberry, right? Because they didn't have the internet, so I wouldn't make it for a week there without a cell phone. I don't want that. I'm just I'm just telling you what the book said, and it's been true of the church since the beginning. It's no, it's no different. It's just what it means to be the church and what it costs to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. In order to be a part of a movement, it's going to cost me surrendering my independence. Surrendering my independence. Look at verses 14 and following, chapter 3, 2 Timothy. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned. He's talking, Paul talking to Timothy. Timothy, you continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. If we're going to be a movement of God, we're going to have to realize that in order to be used by God, I have to surrender my independence to God. To be a devoted follower of Jesus means, in part, that my opinions and ideas are subject to the refinement and the definition of the Bible. I am to remember the scriptures. I am to trust those who are trustworthy who taught them to me, And then I am to look at the Bible knowing it is the very words of God. It was breathed out or inspired or told by God. And it's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. Now, that is a very difficult thing for a North American. Me too. Because I am opinionated. It's not my fault I was born right about everything, right? I tell Heidi that all the time. She struggles. But right, I was born opinionated, and I was born into a culture which taught me to not accept anyone else's opinion on its face value. Now, there's a real strength to that, a real strength to that. There's a real strength to kind of our Americanisms, which says, who, who said? You got to pay tax on your tea. Well, here's your tea in your harbor, right? Who said? Right? Where, where those people were birthed out of that there's a real strength to it, and then there's a line where I cannot bring those opinions into my relationship with Christ. Instead, I seek his truth and form my opinions by that. My will, my mind, my outlook is defined and refined by the scriptures, and in a culture that is so independent, that's hard, because we are often taught that being teachable is being gullible. You believe that? Yeah. Why? Well, because the Bible said it. So your Sunday school teacher told you the world was created in six days? Yeah. Where'd that come from? The Bible? You're gullible. Or I'm teachable because I have to place faith in an evolutionary theory or in the scripture, so I'm choosing to believe in what I don't understand. You're doing the same thing, just more people agree with you. 
That's your definition of morality? Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Would your pastor tell you? Yeah, well, he showed me in the Bible. You're gullible. And oftentimes in our culture, being teachable is mislabeled as being gullible, where Jesus would say, no, I am the authority, and my word speaks. And the church of Jesus Christ has always looked at the Bible as the authority of God and lived and conformed and directed our lives through it. See, a couple thousand years of that. The last 50, all of a sudden we try to make the Bible agree with what we want to And if we're going to be a movement, and I as an individual am a part of a whole, and I am the church, and the work of the church is my church, the authority of God's word has to play in And literally what the Bible would teach me is that my identity is to be lost in Christ. When you see me, you don't see Jeff, you see Christ in me because his word defines me and refines me and directs my life. Here's the next one. In order to be a part of a movement, it will cost me personal humility. Personal humility. Look at verse 17, right? Verse 16, all scriptures God breathed. The authority of scripture, the inspiration of scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I take God's word and I download it. It molds me and shapes me. It equips me for the work that God has prepared in advance for us, me, you, we, the church, to do. I have to be teachable in order to be a part of the movement of God because the movement of God, the church, God's word, is what equips me to be effective within the movement of God, the church. It's a very humble place to be. And here's the problem. The older you are, the harder this is. It's not hard at all to help a little kid know that their spiritual gifts are to be given back to the church. It's not hard at all. You teach a little kid to tithe, they'll do it right away. Those kids, they bring in thousands of dollars for Feed My Starving Children. They bring in all kinds of money to buy a motorcycle for our missionary in Haiti. They have no problem. But all of a sudden, when I come in and I'm 40 years old and I accept Jesus as my Savior, I don't like being a rookie because I'm not a rookie at any other aspect of my life. To have accomplished something in my life, maybe I've done well in my career, or I've got some financial independence, or I just have some horse sense on me because I have a few miles. And then all of a sudden, I start to follow a savior that I don't know anything about, and my life is defined by a book that I've never read. And I have to be humble in order to receive that. In fact, God's word says that. It says to humbly receive the word of God planted in you. And it's hard to be a rookie. But if we, the church, don't teach each other and we, the church, don't receive from each other, then we, the church, will never be effective for what God has called us to do. It's the nature of it. And this is what the church of Jesus Christ has done for all of time. World leaders who have brought themselves under the authority of God's word allowed themselves to be taught. The Apostle Paul was an example of this himself. There's examples of this all throughout the scriptures. Nebuchadnezzar, others, the Roman leaders of Paul, they would bring themselves under. They were willing to humble themselves and become rookies. Incredibly accomplished people 
who were the best at whatever they did in any other aspect of their life, but had never been exposed to Jesus and had no idea what it meant to follow him. If we are going to be a movement, it's going to cost me humility in order to be a part of that. Next one, in order for us to be a movement, it's gonna cost me the focus of my life's investment. The focus of my life's investment. Look at chapter four, verses two and following. Paul goes on, he's telling Timothy, I give you this charge, right? Verse two, chapter four, second Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. In order for me to be used by God to advance the gospel and the cause of Jesus Christ, I have to be willing to focus my life's investment. This is everything from complete adherence to the word of God to living out the Bible. It's receiving the sound doctrine. It's making it my life's mission to teach and preach the word of God. It's to make it my life's mission to stand on truth, to put aside this, and to focus on the calling and the purpose that Jesus Christ has put on my life. There are people... They're all around us. In fact, the Bible says that this number will grow in time. There are people who do not want to be a part of the church. What they want is to participate in a religion or they have a consumer mentality when they think of their spirituality. They're going to set aside sound doctrine because they don't want to be defined and refined by the word of God. They want to be encouraged and blessed and get what they want. So they're going to set that aside. They don't want to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. They, They want to enjoy kind of being a complete person by having their own definition of spirituality. And whether they realize or not, their view of God is that God exists for them, not that they exist for God. So if God doesn't bless them, God doesn't give what we want him to give. If God doesn't make my dreams come true, then what's going to happen is I'm going to determine that the cost of following Jesus is too great, and I'm just going to go do what I want to do. And that happens all the way through the TV guys, all the way to Jeff Bogue. I struggle with the same temptation. I struggle with the temptation that God exists for me instead of me existing for God. And when I start thinking that way, I start picking and choosing the parts of following Jesus that benefit me and that I like, and I set aside the parts of following Jesus that start to rub against what I want in my life. And we'll get a distorted view of what it means to be the church. One time, a few years ago, I was confronted by a father. This was years and years ago. A father came to me, and he said, uh, he knocked on my door, my office, I whatever. He said, he goes, hey, he goes, I got a problem with you. I was like, all right. He said, uh, he goes, you're trying to get my kids involved in a cult. I said, I, oh, really? Was the drinking the cat's blood too much? I didn't realize, you know. I'm like, I'm like oh, okay. He goes, he goes, I think you're a cult. I said, oh, okay, why do you think I'm a cult? He said, well, you told my kids that there's, it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. I said, right. And he said, you, you told my kids that they're supposed to be selfless. 
that they should give them, lay their lives down for somebody else. I said, he said, you tell them that? I said, yeah, I told them that. He said, you tell them they're supposed to be tithing? They're supposed to get 10%? Did you tell my kids they're supposed to give 10%? They work them in dollars. You tell my kids? Yeah, I told them they should do that if they're a follower of Jesus. He said, did you tell my kids they're supposed to tell other people to be Christians? I was like, well, I didn't say it quite like that, but yeah, I know what you're saying. I said, yeah, I told, I told your kids all those things. I told your kids those things. And he said, uh, he goes, you're a cult leader. You're trying to get them to be a cult. I said, bud, I said, I, that's, that's all like pretty low-hanging fruit stuff. I said, I, I'm not really trying to be legalistic, and I'm not, I'm not making up like control. I'm not telling your kids when to go to bed and what to eat and what time to get up and to get to the gym. That's what your football coach does if you want to talk cult. But I, I, I was just trying to show them like some stuff in the Bible. I'm not trying to control your kids' lives. And he said, quote, I just wanted my kids to have some morality and some traditional values. And I said, well, I said, I'm just trying to teach your kids the Bible, and I'm not even digging real hard to get that stuff out of it. That's like on the easy list. Guys, if we're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, then our life's focus is the work of Jesus Christ. Our life's refinement is the refinement of Jesus Christ. Our life's definition is the definition of Jesus Christ. For many, following Jesus, if following Jesus is about life balance, if it's about personal fulfillment, and that's where it stops, but when you get to the level of actually being a follower, when you start talking about living a life of abandon, or you start talking about loving radically, or you start talking about eager obedience instead of eager defi- uh, rebellion, when, when you start talking about making Christ and his work the primary focus of your day as opposed to whatever else would be the primary focus of your day, if, if you just want to have a religion and not really be the church, then living all out for Jesus, laying your life down for Jesus, sounds more like a radical cult member than it does being a committed follower of Christ. And oftentimes, that's the portrayal of the church. You come in, we'll make you feel better. You come in, and we'll get you comfortable. You'll come in, we'll have all the services. And there's an element that that's really, really good because it makes it easy for people to to come in, but it's not what it means. And if the church dumbs itself down to that, the movement of the church will not happen because church becomes about me instead of me being for the glory of God. The last thing to be a part of the movement of, the, of a movement, it, it's gonna cost you complete buy-in. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. Look at verse five, chapter four, Second Timothy. He says, Timothy is kind of concluding. He says, listen, but you, Tim, keep your head in all situations endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. If I was gonna paraphrase that verse and say it in my own words, I would say it like this. If you wanna be a part of the movement of God, stay focused, suck it up. It has a cost to it, right? We endure that, endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And whatever it takes to advance the work of the church and the gospel of Jesus, give yourself to it. 
It's all in. It's not a tag on. It's not an extra part. I am the church. The work of the church is my calling because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not a little thing that I attend or something that I do because it makes me feel good. It is the supernatural spiritual work of God that advances his kingdom and moves us forward. Guys, I I just want to say, because when when we talk like this, if you feel a little insecure about it, you, you might feel like I'm like rebuking. Like, you guys better get your act together. That's really not where I'm at at all. It, it's just, that's why I say it's kind of a pragmatic conversation. Like, this is just what it takes to be used by God. It's what it has always taken. It's nothing new. I didn't just discover it. From Jerusalem forward to Barberton to Norton to here, it's just what it takes to move the gospel of Jesus forward in the church. And, and, and I would say right now that grace is doing fantastic. You need to know that. You guys are serving like crazy. You're investing like crazy. Our budgets are fine. The building campaigns are on schedule. I'm not, I'm not pining for anything. I'm just letting you know that, that if we want to move from this moment to the next moment, These are the kind of things that have to take root in our lives individually and then our lives corporately as a church. I spoke at my buddy's church a couple weeks ago, and I just found this post-it note while we were singing uh, right before I walked up here, and I told them, they're they're booming, they're doing great. They're a lot like Grace, just maybe a few years behind us, just doing awesome. And I looked at his congregation, and I said to them, I said, here's the deal. The most dangerous moment in the life of a good church is the moment they're on the precipice of becoming a great movement. The most dangerous moment in the life of a good church is the moment that they're on the precipice of becoming a great movement. Because one group of people can work and give and sacrifice and create a great church that a bunch of other people who didn't pay that price tag can then participate in. But to be a movement, there has to be a bunch of other people who weave in and start paying the price also. So I told them, and I would tell you, we're a great church, we're a fantastic church, we're a huge church, it's amazing what God has done. And it's a wonderful and dangerous time because grace was never started to be a great local church. Grace was started to be a gospel-centered movement. And from Jerusalem to Antioch to Europe, to the Americas, to Barberton, the Norton, to here, the cost of that movement from the Apostle Paul to Timothy really has never changed at all. People seeing themselves for who God says we are and signing up to pay that price tag. If we want to continue to grow as a movement of God, we have to grow and you have to grow. You have to grow in knowledge and wisdom. If you don't know the Bible that well, that is not a big deal. Just learn it. That is not a big deal. You wouldn't quit your job because they put in a new software program, or maybe you would, right? We, we learn all that. It's not, not a big deal to learn. It's good for us. And we teach each other. You have to grow in knowledge and wisdom. You have to focus. If you're waking up in the mirror in the morning, you're looking in the mirror, and, and you think to yourself, or maybe you don't, that I'm a part of the church, that I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. I'm an ambassador of reconciliation. The primary focus of my day is the building of the kingdom of God. You have to have that. I can, I can have that mindset all day long. 
It's not going to move as far as the church. I can't bear that much weight. We have to have that mindset. You have to give. You, you do have to tie in financially. We're fine financially. But if we want to keep growing, you have to tie in financially. It, it cracks me up that the, the greatest welfare system in North America is the church. Come on. Right? Because some tithe and most don't, but we all enjoy the benefits. Just being honest, right? Security, go ahead and move forward. Okay? That's the way it is. And it, 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 it can't stay that way. Because if we're going to move forward, it's not about bringing greater comfort to ourselves and being so grateful other people pay for it. It's about us bringing all of ourselves to that vision and to that movement. If you, if you are not personally invested, if you won't move, if you won't serve, if you won't disciple, if you won't love, if you won't pray, if you won't... See, it's just what it takes, and it's what it's always taken. And it's, we're not in a bad place. Nothing's going wrong. I'm just telling you how the church has been unstoppable is that people have personalized that and people have moved forward. All right, Thursday night I was out uh, doing a, a dinner for Urban Vision, one of our urban partners. It was a blast to be a part of that. Encourage you to be a part of Urban Vision. And after the dinner, um, after I spoke at the dinner, I was sitting around talking to people a little bit and I had an amazing conversation, like blow my mind conversation. So this lady comes up to me and uh, she's in her mid-70s and she says, hey, I got something to say to you. And immediately I'm thinking, what did I say, right? What did I say? Because I never really uh, think about what I say before I say it. And so I'm like quickly thinking about how to escape the room. And uh, she said, she goes, uh, my dad started your church. I said, what? She goes, my dad started your church. I said, what are you, what are you talking about? She goes, in Barberton. She goes, my, my mom and dad started the group of people who met in the house in Barberton in the 40s. I said, you are kidding me. And I said, tell me, tell me about it. Like, I want to know. And she said, well, I would have been like 10-ish, you know, give or take a couple years. And she said, my dad was a pastor, and he started, he started the church here, and we met in this house. And the, the people would sit down like in the, in the living room, just a small little group of people. And then we had Sunday school upstairs in the, in the, in the, the rooms of the house. And she, I said, you remember that? She goes, yeah. She goes, I remember it. She goes, I remember it like, you know, like a 10-year-old would remember something. But she goes, yeah, my, my dad started your church in the 40s. And I did, I did not know that. And I, I loved it. And so I, I, we talked about it for a while. I said, please write down. She goes, I think I have pictures somewhere. I said, oh, I'd love to see those pictures and, and write down anything you remember. Write it down for me. I'd love to keep it and kind of weave it in. And we talked about talked about it for a little bit. And then finally I said to her, I said, uh, I said, your mom and dad were incredibly faithful. And she said, yeah. I said, I said to her, I said, do you know how big Grace Church is? She goes, no, I don't have any idea. I said, I'm only going to tell you this number because I want you to be so proud of what your dad did. I said, do you realize that over 7,000 people come to Grace Church? And she got teary-eyed. I said, your dad 
being faithful and loving Jesus in a home Bible study, I said, that's what your dad's life investment has built to. And I said, I said, tens of thousands of people, and that, that's, those are, these are literal numbers. Over the tens of thousands of people have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because your dad started this thing. And I said, hundreds of thousands of people have been affected by the gospel and the love and the compassion and the supply of grace. Probably millions. Think of Feed My Starving Child, like millions. Like, I said, it, all of this because your dad started, I said, I'm so excited. And she's locked in and teary-eyed, and I loved it. I love it. Now, guys, this is what I think. A guy starts a home Bible study. Forty years later, there's thousands of us. And it was a guy that saw himself as a part of the church of Jesus Christ who decided that the church of Jesus Christ is something that advances. So he advanced it. That's all he did. His little slice of time, his little piece of dirt, his skills, his money, he just put it in play. That's all he did. He just put it in play. I, I bet you nobody even thought that would survive, let alone be what it is today. Because a guy, and maybe, I don't know, three, four other families, they just put it in play. Now, if we did something as simple is ask God to do the same math in the next 40 years as he did in the past 40 years. Except it's not just a guy, it's thousands of people. See what happens? We, he read this same passage, guarantee it. I guarantee, every pastor teaches on this, if he's good, right? I guarantee it. Yeah. They sat and they looked he looked at them and said, guys, if you want to affect the world, you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to give. You're going to have to be same exact conversation. And here we sit. And now it's just us. It's not, it's just us. It's just our turn. And when the people of God recognize the calling of God and own the work of God, and are defined and refined by the word of God, the church of God advances. And in 40 years, somebody will bump in to, well, Heidi will still be alive, I'll be dead, but somebody will bump into some old lady and she'll say, you know, I went to that bath campus. Really? The one that four, five, six, seven, Campuses removed, started us. Yeah. You know, my kids can't know Jesus because your dad started a Bible study in a house. That's how it works. I just want in on it. That's my heart. I just want in on it. I want in on the eternal work of Jesus Christ. I just want some action. 
right? And all I'm asking is if you want in on it too. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, the band will come out. I encourage you to pray, worship, and think with me. Jesus, I love you. I'm so grateful that you have given us this representation of your church. God, I'm so grateful for the the Pluck family (laughs) 40 years ago, loving you, just wanting to serve you. Simple, not complicated. God, having no idea the, the dividend you would pay. God, I thank you for all the families and all the individuals, all the women and all the men through the years who have just simply heeded your call and advanced the gospel and brought it into our lives. Now, God, we, we hold this treasure and make it our heart to not just know about you, not just to receive you, but to advance the good news of who you are and your salvation and your grace and your love. Cause us, God, to be your church and help us to be willing to pay the price that it takes to proclaim your name and to share the good news. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.